0: This podcast is produced by Visionary Studios. Hey everyone, I'm Mitchell Rail And I'm Wade Claussen. And welcome back to Let's Unpack That. Today, we are joined by Spencer Hodgeson.
1: Spencer, welcome to the pod. How are you? I'm great. There's kind of like a, not a heat wave in New York, but... It's like 45 degrees and was 60 last week in the dead of winter, so.
0: Yeah, get the swimsuits out. Things could be worse. But Spencer, do you wanna give everyone a little bit of a background on who you are, where you're from, etc.?
1: Yeah, so I'm Spencer. Had <laughs> suspenders on all social. That name like so random came because there was a kid growing up who couldn't pronounce my name. So he would call me Suspenders and it actually never stuck but it was something that always stuck with me. Like no one ever called me that, but like, I don't know why it's always just been something that like stuck with me and became, when I couldn't get like a fun social handle and Instagram came out, it like somehow became hot suspenders. I'm from New York. I grew up outside of Manhattan. It's funny because I think people on social just like see and think and assume, oh, you know, he does this full time. Definitely not. I actually work in marketing at a tech company and then kind of have a little side hustle right now, as you guys can see, called Gay Water. It's a canned vodka soda and lifestyle brand that I I started last year and have just been kind of tirelessly working on in my spare time outside of my regular nine to five.
0: That's a lot to handle. A nine to five, a social media presence and creating a brand. But Spencer, coming into yourself as a gay individual growing up outside of Manhattan, what was that like for you?
1: I would say I grew up in like a pretty liberal town. Not a ton of like gay people. There weren't gay couples that had kids that went to my school. Grew up a little bit in a bubble in that respect. Growing up in the 90s and like early 2000s, the prevalence of like the word gay is just like almost an insult. It was never really like about sexuality. It was just seen as almost like a slur that people like hurled against each other. You know, not in like a horrible way in a like, That's so gay. So definitely was closeted throughout high school. Knew I was gay at like, what, 13? But trucked along for quite a few years in the closet. Went to college, sort of had the experience of finding myself. Went to a pretty big school, didn't do a frat. So I was more focused in college, I think, on figuring out who I was, both like personally and professionally. Came out after school didn't have like the big like aha moment where I was sending mass texts to people or writing group chats or like whatever. I was just a lot more like from the school of thought that, you know, this is just part of who I am. I don't, I don't need like a moment where like all the attention and focus is on me. It doesn't define me. It's just part of who I am. So like those conversations were friends asking if I'm dating and me saying like, oh, I went on a date with this guy. My parents, I remember we were sitting down and I was what, like 21 or 22 and home for a break and they were making martinis. And they basically were like, are you dating anyone? And I was like, oh, like I've gone on a couple dates with this guy, Sean. And they were like, oh, finally. And I was like, what? And then we had this whole conversation where they were like, why didn't you tell me sooner? And it's like, no, like, I'll tell you when it felt, like, when it's the right time for me. That was kind of the, the track. That's pretty like, casual. Yeah, I love that, Just though. a slow transition. It, it was very casual. I think my parents knew at a really young age, like, I have, like, a crazy wonderful helicopter jewish mother who every year we would be like sitting in my room and she'd be like so is there something you need to tell me (laughs) i'm like i think when i was in high school like 17 or 18 she like outright asked me she's she's like so are you gay and i was like what i was like if there's something to tell i will tell you so You grew up outside
0: of Manhattan, but when did you make that move into the city?
1: I lived at home for a year after college, just saving money. My first job out of college, I worked in like a rotational program in media, which paid like literally next to nothing. Like it was a question on Jeopardy that and one of the answers was who gets paid $12 an hour, like a blank janitor or my job. And yeah, it was quite the moment. How would you describe the gay
0: community in New York? It's one of like the bigger gay epicenters in the country where me and Wade are at in southeastern Wisconsin, where we each live in like the biggest cities in the state. And even then, like the gay communities are not that big. Oh, they're tiny. Like (laughs) everyone,
1: everyone knows each other and everyone has met each other. So. And probably sucked with each other, too. Yeah. So
0: it's like, if I'm talking to a guy, I'm like, oh, they probably talked to Wade, too. Well, oh, okay. <laughs> It's like, oh, well. <laughs> At this point, it doesn't matter.
1: I mean, it's similar to in Manhattan, but I feel like I'm constantly meeting new people. And I also feel like there's facets of the community that I'd like never even explored or, or touched. A lot of things like inform how you find your community, especially in a big city like Manhattan. For me personally, like my five best friends are all Jewish. It's not even a religious thing. I think that's like a big misnomer that like kind of gets assigned to Judaism. Like it's just more that we all culturally grew up in a similar way and like found each other in that way. We all had like friends of friends or like, it's a big thing. in I would say like Jewish community around the US, like we go to sleepaway camp and like connect with people that way. And then when you go off to college, like you end up going to college with like a friend of a friend. So you're immediately introduced. Um, I, I'm sure you guys have heard of the idea of like Jewish geography, we're always like able to connect with someone because we have that like commonality. Again, is not necessarily a religious thing. It's just more of like, the history of the Jewish people that, like, we've all banded together um, in a certain way and, like, really, like, stick together because we have been persecuted. We are still, like, in the U.S., the most amount of hate crimes that happened in the last year. Like, I'm pretty sure it's 70% were, like, anti-Semitic hate crimes. Like, unfortunately, there's just still massive hate out there for jewish community i think that's kind of like how i found my community in a sense but i think getting back to your question i think i went on a tangent for a bit but it's not a monolith there's so many different like facets to the community within um new york city and like i don't know i don't think i can expertly speak on like
0: everything (laughs) to go off of your tangent i think one it's so like sad to see the Jewish population continue to be so targeted and like for what reason like especially I, it, now it, it, it's, it's got to be like I having that that unity and like that togetherness is one mm-hmm. so important in any community in any connection to having it's this, beautiful yeah it's almost like people are threatened or who knows what it is especially
1: now I, I think there's a common misunderstanding that like people conflate Israel and Judaism. Like, I'm an American Jew. Like, what is happening in Israel is a completely different experience to, like, me as an American Jew who was born and raised here. A lot of anti-Semitism in this day is coming from, like, what's going on in Israel, um, what's going on in Palestine, and, like, people just can't, like, disband the two in their mind that, like, Judaism means Israel, and it, and it doesn't. Like, that's Zionism, Like, it's a completely different thing. And I think that a lot of that is informing it just misinformation at this point um, that just, like, gets shared. And I think we all know how misinformation just continues to, like, snowball. And then people go from, like, hearing one thing to jumping to some conclusion, like, six steps down the road that, like, is so far from even what the initial information was. So, yeah. Hmm. Crazy time. (laughs) Scary time, honestly. It's also scary when, let's say, Kanye West is talking about anti-Semitism and, like, all his followers are like, yeah, Kanye. Like, it's ridiculous.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, like, people that are are billionaires like Kanye and Elon are people that no one should be giving, like, this idolization to. Because if you're that rich, you are completely out of touch with, like, what the world Mm -hmm. is. I just don't get how people can become such fanboys and just take their words as, like, scripture it's just it's Gospel, like what are you doing yeah.
1: with people like elon you have to recognize that everything he's saying has an ulterior motive like his political opinions are tied to like his economic interests like let's be honest like there's very specific things that like he is supporting economically and like, he's saying things on Twitter to stoke an audience and convince people in a certain way that like, ultimately there's there's an ulterior motive in not everything that he's saying, but definitely some of the things that he says. It's funny cause I feel like we're always saying like, there's no transparency with like creators and celebrities, but like there's no transparency there. He's not saying I'm saying this because this affects X, Y, and Z, he's just like, saying
0: it yeah it's it's all strategic um and i think social media very much so is is strategic while we're on social media you spencer have quite the social media presence and i would say you over the years have become a recognizable face on twitter and on tiktok for your quirky personality your golden retriever energy but notably most of your content doesn't actually use your voice it's trending audios or voices of other people and when you take a step back, what you're doing on social media is very strategic and clearly successfully because you've been able to build a platform that's now leading to you creating this brand Gay Water. So do you want to give us a little bit of perspective on how you got into social media and grew your platforms?
1: It actually all started November, 2020. I had COVID and it was the original like One of the original strains of COVID were like, it sucked. Like, like it was not a walk in the park. Um, And it was when you had to quarantine 14 days and I was alone in my apartment, just like shut in. And I think on like day three or four, I was just like, at that point, what do you call it? Like a lurker on TikTok. One of those people who like love to consume TikTok, but never thought of myself, contrary to what you might see on social media, like I'm not super, super extroverted, like never wanted to be in front of a camera. always wanted to be behind a camera. I kind of just like went on a whim, made a TikTok, um, I think overnight. It was, it was actually a TikTok that, it was one of those trends where it's like posting a bunch of pictures of yourself and like, either introducing yourself or like, would you date me? Or like, I forget what it was because I was literally like, cracked out from COVID. I think I got like 5,000 followers from that one TikTok. I come from like a marketing background and I view a lot of like social media as a tool to just like connect with audiences. The way that I approach my, my day job is you can't like position a company, a brand, whatever, without really understanding who the people that you're marketing to are. So for me, like when I approach social media, not everything is based on my experience. So I'll give you an example. Like I've made TikToks about like what goes on in like the Equinox Steam room. Like, I'm not a member of Equinox. I've never been a member of Equinox. I've never been inside the Equinox Steam room. Like, I just know what happens. I know that talking about that is relatable to some people. So for me, it's like trying to create content that like has a shared experience. So that's why a lot of my content to your question is mostly like more meme style. It never really has my voice. One, I hate my voice. But two, (laughs) I think everyone does, just hates the sound of their own voice. Two, I think that right now we're at this point in social media where everyone is looking for like the gotcha aha moment on the hunt to like cancel or find something wrong with a creator. The content that I put out is mostly like voiceless. It's not necessarily like a character, but it's not not me. I'm not talking and saying like, this is what I believe, like this is what I feel. Because part of me, again, the introvert side of me is like, I still want to keep like a, some sort of semblance of like private life and what's, what's out there on social media. Unfortunately, we're at a point where consumers, whatever whatever you want to call them, just regular people are, are really, like, looking for these moments to take this, like, parasocial relationship that they've created with these creators and find a flaw that almost as if it's, like, a friendship and, like, you find one thing and all of a sudden it's a friendship ending fight. We're just trained now to, like, look for something that's off and wrong rather than just, like taking things for face value.
0: So you were just talking about parasocial relationships and I actually did a whole paper in college about parasocial relationships. I think they're so interesting. They are.
1: (laughs) I'm so interested.
0: No, I think that they're like so fascinating just because, you know, they originally, for those that don't know what it is, it originally is like the, connection between like a news anchor and the viewer. You feel like you know them, you trust them, but you've never met them. And that's just kind of evolved with social media. My paper was really about like cancel culture with like the Jeffree Star and the James Charles situations. And I think it's really interesting because people trust these influencers so much, like how this connection with them and like they have like a role that they played in building their career. And so when they do these things, obviously it causes these huge controversies, which maybe some of that's warranted for what they do, if it really is horrible, which some of these beauty influencers have done pretty horrible things. But I think it's interesting to just see how that dog pile forms and obviously cancel culture is a very like complex issue i think that there was some accountability culture to it at the beginning and it's kind of evolved into something much more negative i think totally spencer with what you're doing by like putting a little bit of a character into it i think it really kind of guards you from a lot of like that potential controversy which you were just mentioning with like equinox as an example like if you were to tell a story like you were going to equinox like that could have been totally turned into like oh he's lying he's not even a member like I could totally see someone who works at Equinox, like, checking the member database, being I mean, like, it
1: doesn't even work here. It doesn't even like, have 100%. a membership. hundred <laughs> percent. I think we're getting to the point in, like, social media culture now where, like, you guys probably see this too on, like, gay Twitter. Like, every day there's, like, a new villain and someone else is looking to cancel someone else. Up until now, people just haven't had the tools and resources necessarily. Like, everyone's an investigative journalist now, which I think, back to Elon Musk, he's like... <laughs> wants that, um, with Twitter, he wants everyone to become an investigative journalist. I think to your point, like there was, and still, there still is kind of an accountability culture, which I'm, which I'm totally for. I think that's so important. Like, I think if you're fully like misconstruing yourself online and, facts come to light, like you need to own that. You need to take accountability. There are creators who have like, implied their political position is one way. And then when you find out it's another way, that's unfortunate, you put it out there. So like, you actually are accountable for lying. But I think that's kind of what I've tried to shield myself from a little bit is like, I'm not trying to like go on the internet and lie to anyone, but I'm also not trying to go on the internet and like tell every aspect of my life to everyone so that some way, somehow someone is going to like poke a hole in something. I think Spencer, the way that you're doing it is so smart. I think a lot of people
0: think that they have to overshare in hopes of connecting with somebody and building that following because they they think that like, oh, if I share all this trauma in my life and all these opinions, all these thoughts, then I'll find a following. People will love me like they'll love me for me. But in reality, all that talking is going to get you into some some hole somewhere and then you're going to get, you know the consequences of that.
1: It's not so healthy to be sharing so much about your life on the internet. That's my personal opinion. I'm not sure that it's like so healthy because I think safety aside, there are people who are trained therapists, psychiatrists to like actually help you with things that you're going through and like putting it out there for, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of people to like be your crowdsource therapist like sometimes it's just not it's not healthy yeah totally but i
0: do feel like you have used these platforms really well in building this brand gay water which should be launching soon mm-hmm. i'm really excited to to try it when it comes out building a brand is a lot of work i'm sure as a marketer you've been involved with a lot of activation of brands and helping promote them but do you want to give us a story of how gay water came to be and what you have learned along the way
1: Yeah, there were, I would say a confluence of things like all happening at once. I think COVID just intrinsically has changed the way that people work. I work at a tech company and like my whole team, incredible, so supportive of this. But I think we've Gotten to a point where, like, I've been there a while and I work pretty, like, autonomously. Like, the projects I'm working on, I'm accountable for. The deadlines that I have, I'm accountable for. There's no finger pointing when I don't get my work done. I have to own my shit. On the opposite side of that, though, my whole team is basically like, we know you're on top of your shit. If you're ever not on top of your shit, we're gonna obviously call you out on it, but because of that, they're like, go do this other thing. I could not be more blessed to have just like that support from like my nine to five job because my company is still pretty much, it's hybrid, but mostly remote. I'm able to kind of like prioritize my own time and my own schedule based on like when I have meetings and whatnot. So that was happening concurrently with, I was on a trip with a girlfriend in Mexico. She had just started at a big beverage company, was telling me about her job. It was just the two of us and we are at dinner and we're sitting there. And we were talking about just like gay culture, the gay community drinking. And I kind of had this like aha moment where I was like, there's no like representation for gays, like in this space, in the beverage space. It's very much like a couple of the big box, like alcohol companies will do like big pride campaigns. And like, hire drag queens and maybe change the color of their bottles and whatnot. It's rainbow washing. It's fleeting. Like, not to say that there there are a few that, like, are pretty ingrained in the community and in certain areas and do continue to, like, spend money and donate money um, in the community. But I think that on the whole, like, it's a very, like, white, male, heterosexual dominated industry. And as I was kind of like talking with my friend about it, we were sort of like uncovering that. And I was at that time where I was looking for something else to like fill that time that I had created from working remote and just like all the time saved, not like running from conference room to conference room when you're at your day job. And just like a passion project because I also, this kind of third moment I was having, what we were talking about earlier that I wasn't really a voice behind like my social media. There wasn't my voice behind it. And I do feel like that next step of like, becoming like an influencer because like I don't really consider myself that would be like talking like connecting with your audience even deeper even further it would require me like going deeper into like my personal life and it, it 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 like involves your friends too which like I don't think my friends would feel comfortable being involved in and I would never ask them for that there's just a lot that goes into like kind of taking that next step um and again more introverted like I just like, I never really wanted that for myself. So I was kind of at a moment where I was like, how do I kind of keep doing what I'm doing, but use that as a platform to launch business. So I would say it was like the convergence of like those three things all at once. And we were sitting at dinner in Mexico and I got a vodka soda and I was like, do you know like an older generation of the gay community like calls this gay water? My girlfriend was like, I feel like I've heard that before but like I wasn't like 100% sure. And I was like, what if I made a canned vodka soda? The next day I like looked up USPTO, the like trademark office. There was no trademark for it in alcohol. I'm not one of those people who like says they're gonna do something and doesn't do it. I said to her at dinner, I was like, I'm gonna like follow this little like rabbit hole and see where it goes. And about a year later, here
0: we are. It's so exciting. A little bit before this, you were talking to me off camera about some of the production that's been going into it. And I think there's been a lot of brands recently who have kind of been pulling back the curtain on like the production of a product, which I think is so fascinating to kind of hear how these brands come to life. So what was the first steps for you? You went to Mexico, you had this idea, the trademark was, <laughs> it was open. It all Mexico.
1: Thank God for Mexico. Thank God for Mexico.
0: <laughs> how did you get started from there? What was the first steps in making it a reality?
1: Uh, A lot of research. I've kind of treated like this whole business as like almost on the job business school. I've called in a lot of favors. I've done a ton of research, but the first step was really just like understanding the big picture. I had to learn how beverage works, how alcohol laws work in the United States, because I think a lot of people forget like federally, The drinking age actually isn't 21, it's state by state. And the federal government will withhold funding if a state ever changed its drinking age from like 21 to 18 per se. That first step was really just like sitting down and understanding, oh, in this state, my product is made with vodka, like real vodka, versus like a white claw or truly made with like malt. Even just like the ingredients then dictate like, where I can actually sell the product. I'm sure you guys have seen like in certain states, you can buy liquor in a liquor store, in a grocery store. In other states, you can buy only liquor in a liquor store. Um, In New York, for example, because my products made with vodka, like you can only buy cases of it at a liquor store. You can't buy it at a grocery store. You can't buy it at a bodega. I felt like I was a, a student again. When you're a student, you have that pass to just like ask people questions that are like in the working world and you don't feel guilty about it because you're like, I'm a student. Kind of have that same mindset for this of like, I know nothing about beverage, (laughs) please just tell me things, help me. And thankfully, there's just been some really wonderful people who I've either been connected with or uh, knew on my own. And it's just been so helpful.
0: And we only have a few minutes left. So I want to like get towards the last steps of Gay Water. So you have all of this research to it. You have, assuming putting together the product, working with designers, etc. How do you get the recipe?
1: I'll like quickly outline kind of the process of it building it so you have obviously the brand and then there's formulation so there's actually like food companies out there formulators that have like food scientists which is so sick i'm like i want that as my job and their job is literally just creating beverage and food products from scratch so i gave them like an idea of what i was looking for i'm not reinventing the wheel it's three ingredients it's vodka it's seltzer soda water and lime extract. It's not like a crazy, you know, reinvention of alcohol industry. It's like lighter than some of the competitors that are made with like fruit juice and have sugar and carbs and whatnot. Like there's no carbs, there's no sugar. It's 80 calories. It's super simple. It's a vodka soda you would get at a bar. The gays want it skinny. So you're catering towards the audience. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He knows his target. We want it skinny. We want it simple. Once you have a formula locked, you need a co-packer who essentially like batches everything. They, They do a lot of the work. So either the co-packer or your company individually will source all the ingredients you send it to a co-packer with that like formula and the formulator will also do like batch instructions they basically like have these massive like gallon tanks where they batch together like drinks. They will take the drink once it's batched, they'll source cans for you, they'll fill the cans, they'll print the labels that go on the cans. If it needs to be pasteurized or not pasteurized, they'll take care of that as well. If it needs to be packaged, they'll package them. And then alcohol in the US at least, like you need a beverage distributor next. Who basically stores your product, handles your product, fulfills sales orders for you when like a bar, restaurant, grocery store, whatnot places an order. They place it with like your distributor and then they handle kind of like the fulfillment of that.
0: It's nice that there's someone else doing the fulfillment side. You don't have to be worried about coordinating a whole entire business by yourself. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes, that that is nice. Well, I'm so excited for like
1: the world to get to to try it and love gay water. I'm excited for you guys to try it. I mean, I told you I'm sending you guys some and hats and water bottles and I can't wait. But just
0: really quickly here, Spencer, is there any advice you would have for a younger version of yourself coming into the gay community, figuring out your identity? If you were talking to a younger version of yourself, what would you tell them?
1: kind of like the number one rule of improv, like yes and. There was a TikTok that I saw a couple months ago that really, really stuck out in my mind. And it was a guy who is basically berating kind of what we were talking about with like gay Twitter, the idea that we're supposed to be the most inclusive community, but there is this like almost infighting. I saw that TikTok, this TikToker was like super concerned about COVID still and didn't feel like there were events basically happening around the city that like he could participate in. And I kind of looked at that and I was like, Okay, but like, if you apply the idea of like, yes, and start your own events, you have a platform, like I forgot he had like 10s of 1000s of TikTok followers, like you have a platform, like if you go out there and see that, like, people aren't creating events that you want to participate in, like, create your own, it, it's a community, it was a kind of like what we were saying earlier, like, there's different facets to the community with different interests. Like, if you don't feel that there are events out there for yourself, like, go out and Create those events yourself. Like, use your network, say yes and, and especially as you're coming into the gay community, you're not gonna find your people the second that you come out. Like, that's just, it's just, unfortunately, it's not how it works. It it would be like saying you took a job that you really like and all of a sudden, like, you know your coworkers are gonna become your best friends. Like, we all know that's not the case. You like some of your coworkers, you don't like all of your coworkers. It's the same thing in the community. You're not gonna like, take a job of, coming out, whatever bad comparison. But like, you're not gonna just like immediately come out and find your people. But if you like keep saying yes to new opportunities or creating those opportunities yourself, like that is when you're gonna find like your place and where you are rather than just sitting around and waiting and hoping that like things get created on your behalf or that, you know, you get pushed into something without pushing yourself.
0: That's great advice. Thank you, Spencer. And thank you for taking the time to be here today. I really appreciate it. Do you want to give everyone your socials, Gay Waters information so
1: they can check you and the brand out? Absolutely. My socials are just at hot suspenders. I think Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and then Gay Water is just at drink Gay Water on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter.
0: Amazing. Well, we're so excited to try it. I'm sure everyone else
1: is as well. You guys can follow
0: us on Instagram at unpacktht and on TikTok at unpackthatpod. Thanks again, Spencer. And we'll see you guys next Thursday. Bye, everyone.